Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fully Grown Podcast, Ministry of Turner Christian Church. I am Pastor Jack. I am Pastor Rachel. And I'm Pastor Matt. Hello and welcome everyone to the Fully Grown Podcast, the Ministry of Turner Christian Church. You are listening to episode 116 of the Fully Grown Podcast. And so I'm Pastor Matt and I are here. Pastor Rachel is on vacation, so um, you're stuck with only us two. <laughs> so um, to open up our episode today, we're going to be chatting a little bit about New Year's resolutions, um, just since we're approaching that time and when people are going to be making it. Uh, different New Year's resolutions, at least some people, maybe. Um, we're just going to chat about that a little bit. So, Pastor Matt, do you have anything that you'd like to open with on on this topic? Um, you know, I I have n- not made many New Year's resolutions in my life. Um, pretty much two. And they both, and well, and maybe I only remember these because they're the ones that ended well. Um, I made a New Year's resolution to propose to Casey. And I ended up actually not only proposing to her that year, but by the end of the year, we were married. Um, that went faster than even I had hoped. And um, <clears throat> the other one was um, was a weight loss goal that I set last year for for 2021. And um, that was a success because I hit it in April. Uh, but now I'm having to make the same yeah. <laughs> resolution again. <laughs> I don't have as far to go to get back there. But um, I do have to, to make that resolution again, which is fine, you know, um, but those were um, resolutions that worked out well for me. Uh, I, I may have made other resolutions and just forgotten about them because the, the danger is that my, my tendency is not so much that I fail at them, but that I just kind of forget about them. Yeah. Um, because there is a certain sense in which for me, in my mind, at least, um, new year's resolutions can feel a little arbitrary, like just, just because it's the new year, I should do make these changes. And in those instances, I had other reasons to be especially motivated. Mm. Um, on the other hand though, I am, I'm generally in favor of the idea of resolutions. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm in favor of the idea of, um, making a commitment to be a better person, to set goals, to, to um, make progress. I think that's a very healthy and important thing to do. I'm not sure it has to be done at New Year's. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if, if that, if that, if all you're looking for is an occasion and New Year's gives you that, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about you? I, I think so. I, I don't know if I've ever really made a New Year's resolution, at least written one down. I've thought in my head, like I might do this in the new year and then it doesn't happen, but it's just because I don't know, for me, they don't really work. I don't know if it like you kind of mentioned the word motivation. I don't know if it really comes down to that of like, I'm obligated to make a new year's resolution. So my motivation like just plummets because of that. And so I usually just try to make goals throughout the year and just see, see how those where where those land. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't respect people that do make new year's. I know it works for a lot of people. So that's awesome. And it's really good. Um, it is funny, you know, <laughs> I've seen on social media every once in a while these these TikToks that are kind of like or just in general videos that um kind of are are not necessarily making fun of New Year's resolutions but like saying, you know, for people that go to the gym often, 
get ready for January because then it's going to be even more full and some people aren't going to know how to use machines. And so there's kind of like these goofy videos of people that have no idea what they're doing on certain machines. So it's just kind of, you know, it's funny to me that it's like a whole big thing of New Year's resolutions. And that often is one of one. And I think that's, you know, good. I, you know, being healthy is an important thing, but yeah, just not really something I've ever done. I think goals are very, very important though. I yeah. think, you know, that was something um, I didn't pay attention much in youth group. I was one of those kids that didn't just, you know, I was like, eh, let's have fun. But one of the things that I do remember very vividly is going through making some goals with my youth leader. And uh, that was a very important time for me. And that's something I remember for remembered for, you know, until now. So goals are obviously very important. So. Even if, if New Year's gives you an excuse to make goals, that's awesome. If you make goals throughout the year, that's also awesome. I, you know, I, there's no real particular opinion on New Year's resolutions, I guess. Yeah. Uh, my father-in-law has a really good idea that has helped me, which is he, he, his philosophy is you can make resolutions in January, but confirm them in February. Um, so he doesn't... Um, he doesn't solidify resolutions until February uh, because it can be kind of arbitrary to say, hey, I'm going to decide on this day or by this date what my goals for the whole year should be. And you might set a goal and realize a month into it, this was the wrong goal. And if you set that arbitrary idea like, well, I've made it. So now I either have to keep it or break it. Then you just abandon it. But if you have an opportunity in, in February to decide, oh, maybe I need to tweak this. Maybe I need to do it this way instead and have given yourself permission, um, that that can be helpful. And yeah. I, I found that encouraging. You know, there, there is one thing now that I think of it that is I, I'd say good to start on January 1st. Um, and I, I've thought about so with Bible reading plans, mm -hmm. right? Whenever. January 1st has come and gone and I'm into the, the year and then I'm like, I, I need to kind of get on a Bible reading plan because, you know, my Bible reading has not been where I want it to be lately. When I try to get into a Bible reading plan and it, it gets very difficult because it's like a lot of them are kind of based on these yearly readings. And so it gets, you know, kind of confusing and, and like, what am I reading on this day? I don't even know. Right. And so, I mean, if, if you were gonna make, if you weren't someone who made New Year's re resolutions, but you were gonna make one this year, I'd suggest a Bible reading plan. I don't know. Yeah, that's just kind of me thinking out loud. But yes, yeah, and actually, that was something I wanted to talk about too. That um, Bible reading plans are good. I would um, give yourself permission um, if if you get to a point, because a lot of times we want to read Genesis through Revelation. I would encourage you to explore multiple different ways to read through it in a year. If you do that, though. Give yourself permission to, if, uh, if it comes down to it, rather than abandoning the goal, skip over the genealogies or the laws or whatever it is that gets you stuck. You can always come back to those, but it's better to keep reading than to give up because of hard passages. Because that, that happens to me. There will be, uh, you know, when I make commitments to read through the Bible, I'll hit a tough passage and just lose interest. That happens to me with normal books, too. Yeah. I have a, a biography of Ulysses S. Grant that I've had for like four years. And I've made three attempts to get through it. And uh, I just gave up my latest attempt last night. I reached a point where it was like, or this morning, I was like, I don't want to keep going. So I'm I'm going to stop here and I'll come back next year. <laughs> At some point. <laughs> At some point, we'll I'll, I'll finish it. Uh, hopefully, it will take me less time to read about his life than it took him to live it. 
Um, and actually, uh, speaking of uh, Bible reading plans, I, I don't know much about it because it's not out yet. But the Bible Project, I'm a huge fan of the Bible Project. Um, and they, they have Bible reading plans and stuff. And they have videos that help explain where you're at. They can be really encouraging to give you kind of context. They also have a new app that's going to be launching. And I'm trying to find, I don't see any date, but you can pre-register for it. Um, and it's all designed to help you read the Bible. And so I would really encourage you to look that up and, and check out what they're doing. But there are so many tools out now to help you read through the Bible that um, I would also encourage if you struggle with reading the Bible to get a reader's Bible, which is a Bible with no verse numbers or chapter numbers. And it's like reading a novel, just really helpful too. Which also would go along with our sermon series. Since yeah. we're going over a story and we're kind of, you know, it's in story form, I guess. Yeah, yeah. In this segment of the Fully Grown Podcast, we have a couple of questions that I'm going to be asking Pastor Matt, but then we also have um, a throwback to uh, deleted scenes when that was kind of the the thing that we were doing. Um, there is a deleted scene from the sermon that we're going to get to hear from Pastor Matt today, and so we'll be chatting about that. Uh, but to start off, I have a couple of questions, and so... Um, throughout the, the most recent couple of sermons, we've been hearing the story about how kind of God um, moved on, in a sense, from Saul to David in terms of enacting his, his plan and who he's doing that through and um, kind of the character of the people that he wants to do that through. And so I was just kind of curious with that. Um, are there other instances in Scripture where God kind of seems to move on from someone to someone else um, for the sake of his plan? Uh, is there a consistent amount of timing maybe or even consistent kind of themes that are going on in those stories um, just within what we've seen with this story with Saul and David? I don't know that this particular set of circumstances happens. I've been thinking, I, I can't think of another example where this exact type of thing happens where God uh, has one leader and he says, all right, I'm going to bring in a new leader to replace them just like that simply. Um, but there is definitely a sense, a, a, a recurring theme throughout the Bible of God choosing to work through particular people and choosing to work around other people. I think what makes Saul unique is that God had given the Israelites the ability to ask for a king. And so he, he chose Saul for their sake, not because he wanted Saul. And that doesn't happen very often. I don't, I don't know of another time when that happens in the Bible. But as you look back in the story of the Bible, you will find ever since God made the promise to Abraham, he chooses some people and not others. And he, you know, he chooses, and, and that's a big theme in Genesis. He generally tends to pick people that the rest of the world would not expect. He chooses younger siblings in those stories, which highlights, I think, he, I think, I don't think as much as, as a youngest brother, uh, youngest of three brothers, as much as I would like to say God prefers younger siblings to older siblings, I don't think that's actually the lesson. I think the lesson is the same as with David. He's choosing younger siblings because that makes it clear that they're his choice, not he's not just following the world's choice. Um, but and there does seem to be some sense that he's choosing people who are willing to be faithful, not perfect, but faithful when he chooses Jacob over Esau. Jacob is not perfect, but Esau is pretty much uninterested in following God or and uninterested in the promise. That's why he's willing to sell it. And the same thing happens with um, Jacob's sons and, and 
multiple points throughout the story. Uh, not to give too much away in the future, but that's also going to happen as we move through the story of Israel. It's it's not so much going to be God replacing people as God whittling down his chosen people, that he will choose, uh, like we're going to see that he will take, when Sam, Solomon and his son are rebellious, he's going to split the kingdom. When... Um, when Israel, the northern kingdom, is rebellious, he's going to send them into exile, and and then he's going to send the southern kingdom into exile, and he's only going to bring some of them back. And there's this continually continual whittling down process that ultimately focuses everything on Jesus, and then he starts to expand it back out again. As far as a consistent process by which that happens, I don't know. the The consistent thing is that God gives them multiple choices, multiple chances. Um, he, it's never on the first, he never gives them one shot. He is, he gives them multiple chances and, and actually more chances than you would expect. Like the number of opportunities he gives Judah and Israel to turn around in the book of Kings is ridiculous. Uh, and even when Solomon fails, he doesn't punish Solomon. He postpones it. Uh, and so that, so that Solomon's son gets a chance. And so God gives people chance after chance after chance after chance. And then we do see that principle come back around when it comes to the church, because in the book of Revelation, there's seven letters that are sent out. And in those letters, uh, Jesus dictates seven letters to John. And in those letters, he, he makes this comment about coming and removing your lampstand. That is the, the lampstand symbolizes the church. Basically, he's saying, I'm, uh, if you don't follow me, I will remove your church. And those churches are in uh, Turkey and they don't really exist anymore. Yeah. And so we do see that seem that God carries that forward into the church. I don't think he carries that forward into individuals in the same way that, um, but that's a whole other conversation, but he does continue making these choices. They're just never arbitrary. They're because human beings have consistently chosen to disobey him. And I think, Obedience is such an interesting thing within Scripture, um, and there, there are times every once in a while where I'll, I'll hear a story or a, I'll hear a sermon or just someone explaining something, and it sounds as though you know, David is like how how you described it. You know, he's a man after God's own heart, and how we're often explained how what that means. You know, like David kind of goes along with God's character in a way that most everybody else didn't, right? But it's like within his story, and I assume that this is going to be part of kind of what where what, what goes on within your sermon, so I'm not going to try to give too far. It's like, just wait. <laughs> just wait for what happens within David's life, you know? Um, but it's still kind of, that still brings up the idea for me of like, but also God, God chose David specifically, even though there's that just wait for what happens in his life. Um, and I think that gives, that gives me comfort of, you know, seeing the imperfections of people within, you know, the old Testament that God works with and through so, so vividly and so intentionally, it's like, you know, doesn't just, you know, give, like Paul would say, by no means does it give me the opportunity to just say, well, I'm just going to keep on sinning and eh, it's whatever. Yeah. But what it does say is, you know, sin is going to happen in my life and God still will choose to work in me and through me. And as long as I obey him and don't completely just turn away from him and say, I'm disregarding everything that God could ever want for my life. Yeah. Um, but that gives me comfort to say, 
I can, I can mess up and God still loves me and wants me to be a part of his plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, that is straight down the middle of this uh, next sermon. We're going to be talking about, because it, as you alluded in the latter part of David's story, he messes up profoundly. In fact, I would say he does something worse than anything Saul ever did. And the important thing is it exposes another difference between David and Saul in terms of how they respond to failure. Uh, God didn't choose David because he was never going to fail. God chose David because he obeys. And when he doesn't obey and he's confronted with that, he reacts in a different way. And so, yeah, I think there is, without giving ourselves permission to sin, there is comfort in knowing that God doesn't pick people on the assumption they'll never sin. He picks people, he asks people to deal with their sin in a particular way. So going along with this topic of kind of God picking and choosing uh, people, in the Old Testament we kind of see God choosing specific people for very specific purposes. And so I just, my my next question was, you know, how how does that work today? How does God's choice kind of interact with our, our free will? Does God choose specific people for his kingdom, for specific purposes, or um, does God kind of choose everybody and just kind of waits for everybody to choose him? Or how does that kind of whole whole thing work out uh, within today's today's world? Are you talking about to be saved or to play particular roles in his plan? Let's let's start off with to be saved. Does God choose people to be saved? Yeah. Um, I think uh, Scripture tells us that it's not God's will that any should perish. So I think God chooses everyone to be saved. But it's a key part of what I see in the story of Scripture, and, and I think the plan shows this theme. It's important that people choose God, that human choices matter in the story of the Bible. And so any sense of, uh, in theology, the term is irresistible grace, that if God chooses you, then you can't resist it. I don't see that in the Bible. I just, I don't see that. I see God wants everybody to be saved, and it's our choices that keep us from being saved. Um because God does honor our choices. So, so yeah, God chooses everyone to be saved. Now, God does also choose different p- people to play unique roles in his kingdom. Uh, and the New Testament is clear on that. He's chosen some to be pastors and some to be evangelists and some to do this and some to do that. Right. So God does call people to different things. And some of those roles are, are flashier or bigger or get more attention than others, just like David being king. But I do think it's important to recognize that um, that God God does not um, I don't th- I don't think God gives I don't think God necessarily cares more about David than about any of the other Israelites that were alive at the same time or any but any other person that was alive at the same time. He had a bigger job for David in mind, but that doesn't mean he loved David more. And actually what we find in scripture is that being called by God to do something is a responsibility because all of a sudden, as David takes on responsibility to be the king of Israel, he, there are bigger consequences when he messes up uh, because he is now responsible for leading others. And so God cared about every single person. And it's actually in order to help those Israelites that he, and, and, through them, the rest of the world, that he chose the best king available to lead them. So God chooses people for the sake of what they'll do for others. And I do believe that that's the same today. One of the problems that I think people run into with interpreting the Bible is they assume that we're all supposed to be like the main characters of the Bible, that we're all going to have a calling like Isaiah or Jeremiah or an anointing like David, like we're all supposed to have those experiences. But 
there were only two people in the, in the, uh, at the time that the sermon covered, there were two people in the world who had been anointed by God. Um, there were only two. And so everybody else, I mean, God was working through other people, but he had them living the normal lives that he's called his people to. And so that's, I think today it works the same way. Most of us have been called to live out normal Christian lives in the world God's put us. And that matters. It matters that we take care of what God has given us very faithfully in our families, in our jobs, in our homes, with our pets, you know, whatever God has given us, some people will be called to do more. You know, some people will have really big, flashy, influential ministries. Some people will write really good books that many people read, but um, they also have more responsibility because of that. But uh, ultimately, I don't think we all need to be waiting for that, for Samuel to show up and anoint us. You know, we, we, until, and unless someone shows up and anoints you, I think we should, we should expect that we are called to be the foot soldiers of the, of the gospel, doing the everyday work of being godly people in the place that he's put us. And that matters because ultimately God has done more through the masses of godly people in everyday life than he has through those special figurehead people that get all of the press. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to ask a kind of a, a further question with that, um, just in terms of, you know, what are people called to do and what are they supposed to be doing? Do you, in, in your perspective, do, does God kind of have one specific track for each person that's alive? Like he, there's one way that he wants your life to go. Um, or is there kind of like, you know, with these people who are, are, you know, living Christian lives in the world, right? Um, whether they choose to be a, a plumber or a banker, like those kind of choices, like they matter, they're important. And, you know, living, being a Christian banker is just as important as being a Christian plumber or a Christian pastor, what, you know, yeah. all of those things. But also, you know, God isn't kind of like saying you're supposed to be a banker or you can kind of choose within those, those categories. Yeah. I, so a lot of times people will talk about finding God's will for their life as if God has this secret dance that he wants them to perform and they're supposed to hit every step right, but they don't know ahead of time what those steps are. So I have to go to this particular school. I have to get this particular degree. I have to go to this particular place to meet this particular person that God has called me to marry. And, and you know, God has this plan of exactly where he wants me to be. And I have to hit those steps. I don't find that in scripture. That's some that God will do those in exceptional circumstances with particular people. But what we find in people's in general is that God has a direction that he wants us to live in, but he share he's delegated authority to us to make decisions. And so I think, I think that any, most people could pick from a variety of professions and be faithful to God and be able to like, maybe they're considering between being a plumber and a banker and a pastor and they could, any one of those could be the right answer if they're doing it in a way that's faithful to God. Yeah. Now, some of those answers may be better than others. If you're not good with numbers, then <laughs> banking is going to be a difficult road yeah. to walk. But I think it's similar to the story we told last week of Israel choosing a king. They chose the king at the wrong time for the wrong reasons, but they God stuck with them through that. They still had to live with the consequences of that choice. God didn't turn Saul into the right king, but he walked through that difficult cho choice with them. 
uh, this is something that actually Casey and I have talked about that I don't think that uh, we, we both have, have said that we don't think that the other person is the only person we could have married. We're really glad that we married each other because I feel like uh, I got the best possible choice that I could have because, I, but if I had, there were other people that I considered marrying in my past and, and I think it wouldn't have been nearly as easy, but if I had made that choice, God would have ex expected me to love that person faithfully. Mm -hmm. Um, even though it was a harder relationship to be in. And so I believe that God wants us to be faithful to him. And that means exercising our ability to choose faithfully, but that doesn't mean that that's a secret quiz that you don't find out until later, whether yeah. you passed or not. That's not fair. That's not the, with the God that we see in the Bible. When God holds people to a decision, it's because he told them what they should have done. Mm -hmm. If God hasn't told you what you should have done, then, then that's, that's an instance where he's expecting you to faithfully make a choice and he will walk with you through the, the yeah. fallout, yeah. the outcome. Yeah, and I think uh, obedience definitely plays into that too. You know, whether you, no matter what you you choose, you know, line of work. Obviously, there's some lines of work that you should, just should not choose because they're sinful inherently. But um, you know, kind of no matter what line of work you choose, still obeying God within that and saying, you know, I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to witness for Him, and I'm going to do all these things um, through what I'm what I'm doing for for my occupation or. Um, you know, whatever else in life, you know, marriage or um, whatever else that looks like. Mm -hmm. um, obedience is still, I think, kind of the main the main thing there with, yeah. with God. And for some people, it's very, very clear kind of what they're supposed to be doing in life. And for other people, it's, it's not as clear. And, you know, I know for some folks, it's pretty anxiety ridden of, I want to know what God wants me to do when in reality, he, you know, make, make a decision and, and God will be with you through that and just mm -hmm. obey him through what you're doing. Well, and I think another part of that is, and the plan reflects this, that the scripture seems to indicate that God wants people who are not robots. Mm -hmm. He wants people who will rule on his behalf. And so he wants people that are capable of making wise decisions that don't have to have every decision spoon fed to them with a sign. So when Casey and I were considering whether we should come to Turner, someone encouraged us to have a sign. And we decided that we were going to have two signs. We were going to have a sign for yes and a sign for no. And that way, if we got neither sign, then that was a way for God to tell us that we needed to make the decision without a sign. Because if you say, this is my sign, like, like what Gideon did, there's no way for God to refuse to answer. Mm -hmm. Because you're saying, if it's wet, it's yes. If it's dry, it's no. Right. So we didn't get either sign. And what I really felt at that time God was saying was, hey, you're considering being a senior pastor. If you're going to do this, you're going to have to be able to make decisions without getting an explicit sign from me every time, you know, and, and like how many times during COVID have we had to pivot really quickly and make fast decisions and didn't yeah. have time to do a fleece kind of a thing. And so um, I and I, so I don't think that God will give us signs or will tell us every time because that's not the kind of relationship he wants. Mm -hmm. It's just like with, with your kids. You don't want your kids to always be dependent on you for decisions. Your goal is to raise them to be people who can make good decisions themselves. Mm -hmm. And to me, that seems to be what God's goal is for us. Yeah. So the last thing we're going to be discussing on the Fully Grown Podcast today is a deleted scene from the sermon. So Pastor Matt is going to be talking us through that. Yeah, so <laughs> during the sermon, it became very clear that I had multiple versions of the sermon because somehow the new version, the slides from the new version, I didn't get them into the 
um, the projection system, <laughs> which clearly threw me. But that's because there was uh, there's so much that happens in this part of the story. And I had to pivot a couple of times in deciding what to focus on. And one of the stories that I really wanted to tell but didn't get a chance to was talking about the uh, what happens to the, the tabernacle and the priesthood during this stage, because that's relevant to the plan and to the presence of God. Um, and it also tells us one of the major differences between David and Saul. So Saul has this habit of or when, when the spirit of God leaves Saul and it enters David, all of a sudden you see this difference between the two of them that comes through that more and more throughout the story, Saul ends up relying on human means to make decisions. He's when he's chasing David around, he's spying, he's using spies and informants and all this kind of stuff. And he's, he's always a step behind David using espionage. David, on the other hand, the first time he runs from Saul, he runs to Samuel, who's God's spokesperson. The second time he runs from Saul, he runs to the tabernacle and the high priest. And you find out, you have to read through the whole story to get there, where one of them, somebody says he was there to consult with God. And so David's first response when he's in trouble is to go to God. Saul's first response is to consult spies and rumors and, and get all worked up. And, and those spies and those rumors lead him down a bad path or he ends up being fearful of David when he has David's his most, most faithful servant. And where you really see this, this come to a head is when David goes to the tabernacle at Nob and, and afterward he run, he continues running and Saul catches up and finds out that he was there. And so Saul has the priests wiped out. In fact, it uses the same language as the command that God had given him for what he was supposed to do to the Amalekites. When God told him to totally destroy the Amalekites, it doesn't use that word because obviously he's not dedicating the priests to God. But it says that in this case, he actually did totally destroy them. He killed all of them, except for one person who manages to escape. So uh, Saul basically destroys the only real access he has, or the only place where he can really access God's presence potentially anymore by killing all these priests. And one of the priests, the son of the high priest, goes on the run and he catches up with David. And um, and he joins David's band of merry men. This is very kind of a Robin Hood feel to this part of the story. And but he brings the ephod with him, which is a garment that the priests used that was associated with their ability to discern the will of God. And from that point on in the story, David is able to consult God's will without having to go anywhere. So he's on the run. And you'll see from there, there will be points, points where he will consult with God and say, what should I do? And God will tell him to do this. And he even has time that his men will say, uh, maybe we shouldn't. And so he'll go back to God and say, God, are you sure? And God will say, yes, I'm sure. He's able to have these conversations with God because Saul has driven away the priests and now the priests are with David and David can access the will. And so there's this, this, uh, this shift where David is continually seeking God's will and always wanting to do what God tells him to do. And Saul ignores it. And he's, and it, the final culmination of this story is the way Saul dies because Saul's heading into battle against the Philistines and he has been ignoring the will of God for so long. And I think this, ha this happens to people. This has happened to me that he is no longer able to hear it. 
he finally seeks God. He tries to find out God's will before he goes into battle, and God doesn't answer him because he's he has his his relationship with God is broken, and so instead, uh, the Bible tells us Saul. One of the good things Saul did was he he outlawed witchcraft and he outlawed necromancy, meaning consulting the dead for answers. But he's so desperate at this point that he actually goes and consults a witch and asks her to bring up the ghost of Samuel. And she does because he want, he's, he's desperate to find out what God wants him to do. So he asks the ghost of Samuel and Samuel says, yeah, sorry, you're going to die. And then he goes into battle the next day and dies. But you can see the, the, the final kind of the end of Saul's trajectory, his fall is this neglect of, he's not even seeking God's will anymore. He knows God's will and disobeys it in the story we told in the sermon. And then he just cares less and less about God's will at all. And he depends more and more on rumor and spies and those lead him astray until the end, he can't even hear from God anymore. And, and he dies. Meanwhile, David is dependent on God and is listening to God for everything he does. And he finds success. And so one of the things I was going to say in the sermon was that one, uh, I guess the second thing that differentiates David from Saul is that David listens to God and Saul doesn't, which is part of that whole obedience thing. You can't be obedient if you're not listening. So I really wish I had had time to go into all of that. Um, but now I got to talk about it here. Yeah. And hopefully our, our listeners are, are in, in, well, Hopefully there are people from the sermon that also listen to this so then they can hear kind of more of, of that going on. Um, just kind of a, another story that lends into the power of our own decisions and how it can lead us you know, down, down different paths and sometimes negative paths as, as we see with Saul. Yeah. Um, one large decision then leads to a terrible, terrible outcome. So. Yeah, and also how you can get to a point where you can't hear God and be like, God, where are you? And I can just imagine God saying, well, where are you? Yeah. Like you can't just, it's like, okay, so I, I play trumpet or at least I did in high school and tr trumpet requires your muscles and your lips to be in, in shape. Mm -hmm. And so people will ask, Hey, can you play for this thing? And I'm like, no, because my muscles are completely out of shape. I haven't played in a long time. I just can't pick it up and play like I used to. It's the same thing I think with prayer, like you can't expect to just pick it up after you haven't been doing it for a long time and be able to have these deep, intimate soul searching conversations with God and hear exactly what he wants you to do. Yeah. That's a relationship that's got to be cultivated mm -hmm. any more than you can do that with a friend you haven't talked to in years. Like you just, you just stop talking to them and then you're just going to pick it back up. Like nothing ever happened. Like yeah. it takes time to build that back up. But it's also, you know, kind of returning to our conversation on, on goals at kind of the beginning of the episode. Um, you know, with one of those, I remember in, in youth group, there was a conversation had about goals and how with some of them, if you want to make them a habit, you know, you have to do them consistently for like a significant portion of time. I think it was three weeks to a month. Like you have to like be doing this and you have to be, um, practicing and working on those muscles to continue doing that for a long period of time. And I think the same goes with kind of the negative, negative side of that. You know, if there is something that you start doing that is is not healthy, not good. If you continue to do that for quite some time, you know, you develop these, these habits to be doing that thing. Um, which it sounds like that's kind of what happened with Saul. He kind yeah. of developed these habits to be making bad decisions and to be consulting the wrong people for mm -hmm. the wrong reasons. Um, 
So we have to watch out for that. But we also have to be disciplined to say, if this is a habit that I want to be doing, you know, if I want to be going to bed at this specific time and you have to do it for a consistent amount of time for uh, a long period of time, it's not just going to happen overnight. Yeah. And, and one of the benefits of resolutions, whenever you make them, is that you want to have established those habits before you need them, right? If you're going to face a crisis mid in June of this year, where you're really going to need to be in tune with God and know his will, you don't want to wait until June to start working on prayer, you know? And so in those times when you don't necessarily feel the imminent need for it, that's a good time to spend focusing on those four weeks, five, six weeks of establishing the pattern so that it's there when you need it. Because if you wait until, um, until the crisis happens before you work on that spiritual discipline, you're behind, you're behind the ball and, and it's not, you're not going to be prepared. Yeah. So. Yep. Exactly. So I'm going to be encouraging you to, to be looking into some different things that maybe you could be um, working on, just like, you know, we're doing the same thing. I know mm-hmm. Matt and I are both looking at things and looking at ourselves and saying, what can we be working on uh, within ourselves, within our own lives? And um, over 2022, how can we, we how can we be working on those things? How can we be uh, better followers of Christ, you know, better uh, for us, you know, men of God, um, for Matt, better husband, for me, better better son, better person in the community, all those different things. How can we be working on ourselves and creating goals to, to be doing those things? Mm-hmm. We want to thank you for joining us on the Fully Grown Podcast, a ministry of Turner Christian Church, and we hope that you will join us next week um, for, for another installment. So within, with, with that, though, we just don't want to leave you. We want to stay, uh, stay healthy and stay hopeful. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Bye.